This is the Baltimore. 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 Underground Radio Podcast. Showcasing local musicians, playing songs, and getting the interview. We'll also bend your ear about gear. Baltimore, we are sick with talent. Put your ears on. It's time to listen. In today's episode, host Pete Strobel will be interviewing guitarist, educator, and studio manager, Charles Simon. Take it away, Pete. Rated triple R for language. Raucous, raunchy, and real. Thanks, Nan. My guest today is Charles Simon. Charles is an accomplished guitarist, a graduate of Berklee School of Music, and a sought-after educator in the Baltimore area. Charles influences a broad spectrum of musicians, young and old, as the general manager of Stages Music Arts, a performance, recording, and education complex in Cockeysville, Maryland. So join me now as Charles and I share our love of fine instruments and discuss the state of music education in today's high-tech world and what might be in store for the future. But first, Dig Charles, shaking some shit loose with his band, Mitch and the Accomplices. So I'm here in the uh, Baltimore Underground Radio podcast control room with the illustrious Charles Simon. Charles, I know you guys are really busy right now. Um, and I appreciate you uh, stopping in and hanging out with us and telling us a little bit about what's going on with you as a performer and uh, and with stages. Yeah, thanks for having me. Oh, yeah, it's our, it's our pleasure. Let me ask you first, how would you characterize yourself to those who don't know you yet? I mean, would you characterize yourself as a performer, as an educator, as a facility manager? I mean, who is the Charles Simon that would be on the cover of Time magazine? <laughs> <laughs> that's a good. That's a good question. Uh, it's really hard. I, I always find it really hard and uh, un- uncomfortable to talk about myself, you know. Mm-hmm. But um, I think first and foremost, I like to think of myself as a musician, as a as a performer and a guitar player. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've, I've been playing guitar since I was eleven, and um, I remember I actually got my, I say 11 because I remember I got my first guitar the night before my 12th birthday. And like, I knew I was getting a guitar for my birthday and I couldn't wait to have it. I was like, please, mom, please, dad, please, mom, let me have, can I have my guitar? (laughs) And so the night before they let me have it, you know, and I just feel like I kind of never looked back as far as music and the guitar goes. It's, it's like an addiction. It's an obsession, just learning and trying to always practice and play and, and get better. Um, so I, I would say that has to come first and that, you know, everything else is kind of built off of a foundation of just being, uh, into music and obsessed with music. Mm-hmm. Do you still have that first guitar? Actually, my niece has that, uh, guitar. Cool. Yeah. So it, it, it's in the family. Let me put it that way. <laughs> so going off on that for a second, I know that, uh, you and I share a love of fine guitars. Um, what what is your go-to instrument? Oh man, I had a feeling you were going to ask me that, and it's <laughs> it's a particularly difficult question for me to answer right now because I feel like I'm having a, a little bit of an identity crisis with that because I just recently got a Telecaster and I've never owned a Telecaster before. 
But this thing literally blew my mind and, and all of my expectations that I had just blew them away. Like I got a new a 2020 Fender Ultra Telecaster. Uh-huh. I heard that they were stopping the use of ash wood in their in their production model guitars. Yeah. And I thought, I got to get one. I've never owned one of these before. And, you know, I've heard different things about Fender and when you buy new guitars and there's a lot of variance in the quality. And so, honestly, my expectations were kind of medium. Mm-hmm. I was expecting it to be a great guitar, but I was blown away by how much I love this instrument. And then just playing it plugged in, it's so versatile and so dynamic and has so much response and the different kinds of tones you can get out of it. And Isn't it amazing how it's such a simple instrument? It's the first, yeah. I mean, relatively a really early design. Yeah. And still yet, I mean, when you think about, you know, guys like Danny Gatton uh, and all the different yeah. things he did with the telly. Yeah. And, you know, like Prince played sort of a, a knockoff, a, a type of a Telecaster. And yep. Um, you know, Jimmy Page on early Led Zeppelin stuff. I mean, it's all over the place. Yeah. uh, It's just, it's really an amazing sound and a versatile instrument. I find that it really makes you, it really focuses on the player because you just don't have 15 knobs. You don't have all those, all those ways to screw yourself up. True. True. Yeah. So is that your, is that your, uh, your, uh, uh, Desert Island guitar? That, well, that's the one that right now I just can't put down, you know, <laughs> but it's it's new. I mean, I've only had this thing for like a month. Wow. Um, but I would say if it wasn't for that, I got my hands on, uh, man, it must have been 10 years ago now, but I got my hands on a vintage Gibson 335. Mm-hmm. And it's a it's a 73 mm-hmm. and it had had a broken headstock and it needed a bunch of repair work done. I, I bought it from, from Music Around in Cockeysville. Like someone sold it. I bought it from them as is. It needed a lot. So I got a pretty good deal on it. You know, I had the, I had it refretted. I had the bridge fixed. I had a crooked tuning knob and the whole nine yards. But that thing just plays and sounds insane, man. Yeah. And it's just like, they just don't, it makes me feel like they just don't make instruments like that anymore. Or it takes, you know, 40 years for it to feel like that. Well, you know. again, it, that's another instrument that's not really complicated. Right. And it lets you, you know, be who you are. I mean, uh, yeah, that's a great, yeah, that's a great axe. And it's cool because it has like, um, it has a neck that kind of tapers and it gets smaller as it gets towards the, the top, mm-hmm. towards the nut. Mm-hmm. And I actually really like, I find it very comfortable. That was something with the telly I was a, a little worried about with the neck, but the new tellies have this compound radius ah. where it, it actually thins out as you get up top it gets flatter and easier to get to high frets mm-hmm. and it just makes it e- you know it just makes it easy to play so let me ask you this man is there still a uh, an axe out there that you fantasize about is there something that you go oh man i was thinking <laughs> i was thinking about that on my way in today i was like what's my next guitar gonna be <laughs> uh, i was i was listening to um george benson in the car on my way to work listening to this masquerade and he gets uh, to the solo section i'm just like i need a freaking good hollow body like that man you do <laughs> so i mean i've i've played a couple d'angelicos recently mm-hmm. and i've been those have been a little captivating to me just how how cool those things sound and they've that just as a company they've been doing a lot of really cool things uh-huh. so and i don't really have like a full hollow body like that you know yeah yeah so 
You got to have a Les Paul. See, that was going to be the, the the other answer to that question had I not been listening to George Benson on the way into work today because I don't have I don't have like a badass solid body humbucker. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh well, well we'll fix that. Yeah, I don't have one. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, you know, it's like you can never have enough guitars, man. In my opinion. Say that again. I mean, Say it again. You you can never have enough guitars. You need more. I need always need more. They're all different. They're all different. I'm like the total I'm like the total enabler. Yeah. Because people call me and say, Well, do you think I ought to get Yeah. Yeah. You ought to. Yeah, of course you should. Yeah. I'm not the I'm not the guy to talk you out of buying another guitar. Yeah. Um, unless it's a piece of shit and then, you know. <laughs> Tell me about stages. Give me a like a two second rundown on what it is and what's it doing. Sure. So Stages is a multi-purpose music studio, um, recording studio, music school, and production company. And you're, you, so, you manage, what do you manage? The whole place? I'm, I'm the general manager, yeah. So uh, I basically oversee everything. Wow. You know, so it's, it's obviously an interesting time right now to run um, a studio and a school. Um, it's a dynamic situation, constantly changing that we're staying on top of here. But if we were to speak as if it were pre-COVID time, mm-hmm. um, you know, we have hundreds of students coming in every week to take instrument lessons. We put kids and adults in bands. Uh, we teach them to sing and write music. Um, we teach them to get to form their own bands and create their own music that they can then record in our studios. Um, we run camps, we run master classes, we bring in a lot of guest artists. Uh, we try to give students opportunities to perform out in the community. We try to give them access to these world class facilities. Just whatever tools and ways that we can help bring a musician. Uh, from basically they've just started on an instrument to I'm now writing music and I'm recording it and you know I'm I'm creating something with my friends and with other you know professionals or pre-professionals. So we all know the situation in uh, in the school systems that uh, you know everybody's struggling their budgets are struggling. Usually the first thing that goes has to do with the arts. So are you guys over at stages are you trying to sort of fill that gap? that's being left by the school systems? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I mean, I, I, I'm not really sure. Um, you know, I mean, for me, for example, I never, I went to Delaney High School and Cockeysville Middle School, so literally in the same zip code mm-hmm. that I'm in right now. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I was never a band kid. I was never in, in chorus. You know, I was in the first guitar class that, w- that ever came out of Baltimore County, and it was offered by my middle school uh-huh. in eighth grade. Uh-huh. And that's, that's why I got that guitar. I signed up for class. I had, a, I had a good friend who played and was pretty good, and that's all I needed. I had a little com- competition, and you know I know I'm going to take this class in the fall. And I was like, Mom, Dad, I, wanna, I want a guitar. <laughs> um, and then you know in high school, they offered a guitar class. It was the fir- my high school class was the first class to have a guitar class in, in Baltimore County. Wow. So, you know, I didn't have that personally, didn't have that traditional, um, you know, where I've been playing trumpet since the third grade kind of thing. Right, right. And then I was in, in that all through school. Um, so, you know, I, I'm not sure how much it's affected us because 
really primarily what we teach here at Stages is guitar, bass, drums, keyboards, piano, and voice. So like a typical pop band. Yeah, we don't, you know, we're trying to focus on being a contemporary music school. Right. You know, we, I mean, we do, we do offer um, violin lessons. We do have people who teach saxophone, who teach trumpet, you know, but really what we're trying to go for is the contemporary Mm -hmm. modern approach. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, um, we've also done something like in every one of our classrooms, we have a computer. We basically have a home recording setup because we're trying to teach kids from the beginning to record themselves, hear what it sounds like, and incorporate that into their daily practice, into their process, basically. It's so easy to do nowadays, isn't it? Right, yeah. I mean, anybody can make a record. The good news is, I always say, the good news is anybody can make a record in the bathroom, but the bad news is that everybody's making a record in the bathroom. (laughs) Yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I think the democratization of uh, of access is really important. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Because people people need to be creative, right. especially now. I mean, now is, it's crazy times. Speaking of which, I understand you guys are open again. Yeah, we are actually. We're open for in-person lessons as well as uh, group classes, as well as studio sessions. How are you handling the group classes? Well, two ways. But fortunately, we have large live rooms that are about a thousand square feet. Mm-hmm. So what we do is we just make sure we cap it at a certain number of people. Uh, we spread the students out as much as we can in the rooms. Uh, we limit it to one vocalist per uh, class. Mm-hmm. They get surrounded by a giant six-foot plexiglass germ shield. Nice. You know, they go behind that and they sing. And, you know, we, we, we're following... Uh, pretty strict sterilization policies. You know, we're wiping down the glass afterwards. We're, we're, uh, we have, uh, I call it the toaster oven, a little box where we can sanitize microphones. Oh, cool. Uh, you know, it's like the same thing a dentist would use to sanitize their tools. Mm-hmm. So we switch that stuff out after every rehearsal, put fresh microphones on there. And, you know, we just limit the, uh, the time that students are in the rooms. We limit the class sizes. We make sure everyone's spread out. Um, but not only that, we also have an outdoor stage. So mm-hmm. some of our rehearsals we're hosting outside when we can. And the, the same deal, just keeping people spread out. We keep the vocalists on the patio. You know, we're changing out mics. And we're trying to be as responsible as we can and as safe as we can. Um, but we, you know, we, we had students who just, they couldn't wait to get back in and play. They're not doing anything. Yeah. You know, they're, so... Yeah, I've been doing uh, I've been doing just a couple of things remotely. I haven't had anybody here since February. Wow. I mean, it's yeah. it gets lonely, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm sure. You know, I mean, the vocal stuff we're extra careful about. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, taking extra precautions with those masks on all the time and shields. Um, and like I said, only one person at a time yeah. singing. So we it's not like we have choirs or we have you know, big vocal groups who are all singing. Right, right. So. Wow. So I understand that um, you're actually doing your own project there at the moment. Yeah, yeah, I am. It's a really fun and cool thing for me. What's the name of the band? The name of the band is Mitch and Accomplices. Are you Mitch or are you one of the accomplices? No, I'm an accomplice. Yeah. (laughs) Who's Mitch? Uh, Mitch is uh, Mitch Traeger. He's a local. He's a, he's one of our instructors, and mm-hmm. he's a local uh, singer songwriter. He played in a band in the in the '90s called the Empties. Mm-hmm. 
um, which is a kind of play on words of his initials. I found out later, MT, empty, Mitch Traeger. Oh, wow. Um, so yeah, and it, it's a great band, man. I honestly feel like the, the weak link in the band and I'm, you know, even thrilled and privileged to be in the same room as these guys, let alone, uh, get uh, allowed to track on the album. So Really? You know, it's like uh, Leland Nakamura on drums mm -hmm. and Steve Zerlin on bass, uh, Peter Fraze on saxophone. Mitch is an incredible singer and songwriter. One of my students is actually guests on the album, guest appeared, plays bass on two songs, uh -huh. Oliver Unger. And so, you know, it's going to be a full length album, 10 songs. We're really excited. What's your timeline? That's a good question. So we were like in the studio for a couple weekends in a row leading up to COVID. We had everything planned out in March and early April. And by this time, we would have long released the album. Mm -hmm. But, you know, now that we're at stages, we're doing sessions again. Things have started to resume. Yeah. Basically, we, we've done a couple vocal sessions. Um, I still have some guitar work to track and then a couple little odds and ends here and there. And then hopefully we're, we're done, you know, hopefully... 60 days oh man it's it's all done but you know I, I i'm saying that taking into account that i know that there's some other things life related things that are going to get in the way over the next couple months you know yeah, there always are there always are what are you tracking with what kind of amps i'm playing the, almost the entire thing through a dr z mm -hmm. oh my god man that thing is incredible yeah the model is escaping me right now but it's a single 12 uh, just a killing, killing amplifier. So it's like the size of a of a Fender Deluxe ish kind of thing. It's it's actually bigger. It's uh -huh. it's heavy, man. It is a bigger amp. I mean, it, it's it's like kind of the size of a twin reverb, I guess. But it is a single speaker. Yeah. Wow. Maybe not quite. Maybe somewhere in between those two. Uh -huh. It sounds amazing, man. And that thing, that's you know, I'm I'm excited to track with this Tele, man, because uh, all the guitar work I've done so far on the album was with the either the 335 or this kind of Frankenstrat that I that I sort of modded mm -hmm. and um and you know I've got this Telecaster now and plugging that thing into the Dr. Z with like I have a big sky reverb and the and like OCD pedal is just like it's an, it's amazing man it's really it's it's amazing how do you feel about um as a guitar player about using uh plugins virtual amps and amp sims and that kind of stuff you know, I actually have one of the old Axe Effects. Like, um, I don't use it a ton, but for what it is, I I like it. Mm -hmm. um, I I tried gigging with it for a little while, you know, sheerly out of convenience. Yeah. But I I want to probably say that any kind of trouble I had with it was user error. <laughs> um, you know, like like let me put it this way: I got rid of that amp and i'm now playing through uh amps that you basically just turn on turn up and they fucking sound good yeah you know so the axe effects is really cool for what it is yeah i mean if i wanted to sit there and craft some really crazy like shimmering um you know affected sounds mm -hmm. and for like the new metal stuff for like the the heavy distortion stuff i think it's great yeah i mean these guys are in are defining entire genres on this stuff and i think it's great you know to me it's just another tool you know last august we went down to uh wolf trap to see mark knopfler's band and we had been emailing and he said he's going to do the whole tour with uh kempers you know i'd asked him what kind of amps he's using now and he did the whole tour with these toaster oven looking things uh, and they sounded amazing. 
I didn't uh, I didn't miss the live amp sound on stage at all. I was amazed. I was very skeptical. But he had told me that they had spent six months or so dialing them in in the studio to get, you know, to capture the live sounds. Amazing stuff. Yeah. I mean, the same thing with, like, Dweezil Zappa, man. He uses two of those units, mm -hmm. and he has it coming out of a QSC monitor on the stage, you know. And it sounds incredible. I mean, I, I've heard interviews with him where he says he has to use two of them mm -hmm. because the patches that he builds are so complex, it crashes the system. Oh, Jesus. I, I play around with the stock patches, but then everything's different. It's like you play it with a Strat, it sounds great. You plug in a Les Paul, it sounds like shit. And another one, it's vice versa. So, so. you find you'd have to, you'd have to uh, reprogram everything for a guitar change. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I was using them for a while. I was playing in a wedding band, and I just brought this little like half rack mounted thing with my with uh, with the Axe Effects and a little Q, uh, QSC K10, mm -hmm. and I plugged it right into that and sent the other one to the board and called it a day. But it was like it just didn't really do it justice at the yeah. end of the day. Yeah. And it's probably again it's probably user error because I didn't put in the six months to get everything dialed in. <laughs> but there's nothing like moving air, you know. If you're live on a, on a stage, yeah. you know. There's nothing yeah. like a, a yeah. Marshall 412 or something. Yeah. You know, making yeah. your pant legs move. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so as music education moves into the 21st century, um, how are you guys tying into that at stages with your facility? So like, like I mentioned earlier, we've, we've done a thing where in every classroom, we've built a home studio setup. Mm-hmm. So the idea here is to start right away at a student's first lesson to start introducing to them the idea of music technology. Right. And, you know, do that in a customized way. Do that in a way that's based off of what that student's interests are, mm -hmm. you know. So if they like video games, show them some video game music and, st you know, start showing them how with this MIDI controller – I can get drum sounds, I can get synthesizer sounds, I can, even if they don't know what all those things are, just how, just with this little controller, you can get, you know, thousands of different sounds happening. Right. You know, pull up a drummer track, lay down some MIDI chords and a bass line, and then, you know, record the student playing the first little example that they've ever learned how to play, or just them strumming a G chord in time. You know, and, and re record that right into the computer right there and just to show them how accessible and how easy it is to, to start getting into that kind of a thing. Isn't it amazing what's available now? Yeah, yeah. When I do, uh, when I teach um, voice lessons, as soon as I was, as soon as I had the technology at, at hand, I recorded all the time. Yeah. It makes worlds of difference when you have instant feedback. For sure. You know, it's painful. Yeah. But it's like one of those pills that you got to swallow. And it's like the sooner you do, the better off you are in the long run. It's like it's like learning to play to a click. It's like the sooner you learn how to do this, the sooner you can start recording yourself and listening back. Oh, that's what I actually yeah. sound like. The better off you're going to be in mm -hmm. the long run. So just get over it. Let's just, you know, let's yeah. break that ice and, and move on. So, so do you think that the uh, technological advances have really helped as far as music education? Um, well, like anything, there's two sides to it, you know? Uh -huh. the, the other side, in my opinion, is there's a whole lot of stuff out there now. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And um, 
and then there's two sides to that. There are think there's stuff that's really great and there's stuff that's total trash. And then the other side is it can be overwhelming. You know, the there it's almost like a- option paralysis. You go on YouTube or even go in your app store to try to find a music related app to help you learn something and it's almost like information overload. Sure. So you know, that's where I think especially with y- younger students, school age kids, that's where we come in and we help develop that, you know, based off of what they're interested in. That's our job is to not only inspire them, but to take what they're already, that nugget of love for music and instruments that they have and and water it and grow it and to take them on a journey, basically. That's great. So that's why we really want to be incorporating the world of recording into this from the beginning. Yeah. We've had students who have performed in some of our recitals and they've performed by themselves to a backing track that they created with their teacher. Wow. You know, and, and after only playing for a few months or six months or a year or something. And then, you know, we have studios right across the hall. We got the real deal. Come on in here and let's track your your album, you know. So they learn right away to put themselves under a microscope and, uh, right. and, and not be uh, seduced by, gosh, I'm really good now. Right, right. Well, you know, you know if you're really good now because you're listening to it. Yeah. Yeah. And and the other thing that I think is is really beautiful about this is we allow and and encourage our instructors to kind of utilize this stuff in the way that they think is best for the student. Mm-hmm. So in other words, everything's tailored to the abilities, the aptitudes, the interests of the student by the teacher. Yeah. So in other words, some of our instructors in part of their lesson every week, they play along with music, you know? And then it's like Hey, if you learn this song, let's play along with the song, but let's let's actually record it this time, you know, and then we go back and hear it. Right. Hear how you sound compared to the recording. Mm-hmm. And then there's so many cool backing tracks and things like that you can find nowadays, you know, like a music minus one. Sure. Where maybe we can find Crazy Train without the guitar and you can be Randy Rhodes and let's hear how it sounds. Yeah. You know, so... Fantastic. It's really a cool time. And I mean, you know, I think you have to embrace it. You have to learn how to incorporate this stuff into your your approach and your practice because it's not going to go away. I think that that's an important phrase. You have to embrace it. You know, I come from a different time, a different place. I personally know a ton of really talented people who didn't embrace the, the technology as it could, because there was a sea change yeah. with recording. Yeah. It wasn't just, oh, look, we went from four track to eight track. Now we went from eight track to 16 track. Now we went to, there ain't no tape. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I remember uh, sitting in the control room. I mean, they stopped making tape for a while. Right. So it's just, a, okay, if we don't make a change here, then we may as well just put up velvet ropes and go, this is what a recording studio used to look like and have tours, right? So we had to we had to embrace the technology, but a lot of engineers that I know of didn't. Right. And they just basically stopped making records. Yeah. And it's an interesting thing because it, the hardest thing to accept is change. Sure. But it's also the only constant. It's the only thing that keeps changing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we're, you know, we have this, I don't know, human beings seem to be kind of wired in a way to be comfortable where you're at and then... Anything that's new, you go, well, that's bullshit. Yep. You know, and if you do that, then you're dead in the water. You got to have one foot firmly planted uh, in, in comfort and one foot firmly planted in the unknown, you know? Yeah. I think the real constant here is music. Sure. And the media, how music is presented is what's changing. But the music is still the music. Right. And it's possible to make great music 
in new exciting ways. Yeah. So do you guys have uh, video facilities there? We are in the process now of putting together and finalizing a pretty uh, amazing video production suite more or less. And what are you going to do with that? You're going to do like like artist videos or Yeah, so there's a lot of things that we want to do with it. One thing for sure that we're going to be able to easily do is uh, record and host concerts from this location in the studio, um, in the other studio in our recital hall, and whether that means um, tracking and capturing a band, you know, let's say they want to create a, a music video from their session as part of their session, mm-hmm. or uh, live streaming. Um, all that will be very easily accessible as soon as we're finished, basically, um, this project. Yeah. In, in each studio, we have nine SDI serial digital interface HD video ports where we can plug in up to nine cameras in different locations throughout the studio. Ah. Plus we have two mounted PTZ pan tilt zoom cameras. And so we, you know, you get operators behind the cameras. We have a director uh, in our video room and we can run a full production. And when do you see this happening? Well, actually we have a test happening tomorrow. It's the first time that we've ever tested all this stuff. Uh, We've hosted live streams. We've recorded plenty of stuff here via video. But this will be the first time that we're ever utilizing the in-house infrastructure that was kind of there, but it was never finished. Right. So we've got it across the finish line, we think, and um, we're going to be testing it tomorrow. There's still, you know, some loose ends to tie up here or there. But we're going to we're basically taking our all star student band uh-huh. and we're having them put on a mock concert for uh, basically just their parents and friends. That's going to be exciting for them, man. And yeah, we're going to be doing it in eight cameras in HD audio video. So Charles, knowing that uh, musicians are creative people, one of the ways that we've had to become very creative is how to keep food on the table, how to keep a table for that matter. And we've taken advantage of this, uh, the live streaming technology and and live streaming has almost become sort of its own genre of entertainment. Uh, we can't go to concert venues. We can't go to clubs. You can't really even go to the park and put your hat out for uh, donations. How do you see this? I mean, do you see this as being a permanent change, or do you see this as uh, a flash in the pan, or is this something that's going to be with us for a while? I don't think the live streaming is going anywhere. I mean, you know, for example, we have a concert in our recital hall it's a very beautiful, amazing sounding room. It only seats uh, 60 people. Right. Right. So that show sells out. Well, we can sell overflow seating virtually. Um, and if we have the infrastructure to present that in high quality audio and video, then why not? Sure. And now our audience is the whole world. Yeah. You know, yeah. And, and it's it's not the same. I'll be the first one to say it's not the same as being at a concert. But you know what the heck man it's uh if if i can't be there i might and i really want to see or hear it i might as well check out the stream well we do it all the time i mean we're always watching stuff on on uh youtube yeah at really shitty quality levels yeah exactly so we're getting our jones we're getting oh look i I get to see the beatles or something you know right 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 but if the quality is there and and the playback you know technology is so much more advanced than it used to be yeah. Um, and you don't have to look for parking. True. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like my dad always used to say uh, about my dad's a huge sports fan. And I'd say, Dad, you want to go to the game for Father's Day? Or, and, and he'd say, why would I want to stand in line to take a piss? <laughs> but um, 
Yeah, I don't think that stuff is going anywhere, man. And and mm-hmm. uh, you know, if if we can do it and present it in a great way, in a, in a way that looks and sounds amazing, I mean, maybe it's even better than being at the show in some cases. You know, yeah, like a yeah. stadium show. I mean, you know, for me, like I'm a huge Tool fan. They're one of my favorite rock bands of all time. Mm-hmm. I I went and saw them live. This I think it was in the fall for the first time ever, and it was the loudest concert I've ever been to. Yeah, if they had like HD streaming and they you know, with multi cameras with great audio, I'll much rather sit on my couch and crank it up to just the right volume and see every shot perfectly yeah. than, you know, go to the concert and have my ears ring for a week. I wonder sometimes what the um, what the experience is like for because we're looking at it from the other side because, you, you know, you're teaching these kids to be in bands and everything. Yeah. What the experience of a musician is, because. I came up at a time when, you know, we were playing nightclubs five, six nights a week. Sure. Five, six sets a night. Yeah. It's just work, 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 yeah. work, work. And um, eventually you end up playing 2,000 theaters. You end up playing really nice theaters. You end up playing, if you get lucky, you're playing arenas. Right. And occasionally we'd find ourselves in baseball stadiums. Whoa. Or the L.A. Coliseum and that kind of thing. Yeah. Those were the, the least enjoyable shows I've ever done really because you're you're miles away from your audience yeah you know yeah sometimes because of the logistics you're miles away from your drummer sure yeah <laughs> so you're just hoping that what comes across you know it, it's it's a I think it's a it's an effort to get as many people as possible into one place to sell tickets to see that one thing yeah which the virtual world kind of replaces and the the quality level is so much more advanced but there's a whole another interesting side to that too which is like if i'm a musician and i'm playing a concert to no one right because everyone's online right oh that's pretty weird too man you know like yeah uh it'll be interesting to see tomorrow how how our students respond to that because you know i mean it just can't feel like a real performance in the same way it's gotta right it's gotta take on its own type of energy um but for uh for performers i think it's really important to have instant feedback i agree yeah you know i mean in record in a recording world you've got the instant feedback because you're listening to your playback right but as a performer i mean there's you got to have that jones you know you got to have that I'm, I'm making a mental note right now to make sure we insert some um artificial applause on their he- on their <laughs> headphones after each song tomorrow <laughs> so is this going to be with no audience it's not going to be any live audience except the production crew, people operating cameras, the engineer, and myself. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, wow. But besides that, yeah, no live audience. Everybody's going to be. Their parents are going to be at home, or in the or in the parking lot. <laughs> in the parking lot, cardboard cutouts. You got to yeah. get cardboard cutouts of yeah. everybody to put in the seats. Yeah. It's exciting stuff, though, man. This whole future of of technology education. You know. And I mean, you got to look at it both ways. You got to look at it as. Uh, man, that's weird, mm-hmm. you know, playing in front of nobody. But then you also got to look at it as, well, maybe there are certain people who do better that way, you know, or who now they feel like they can sit down and dig in, you know, metaphorically and actually. Yeah. I, it's a whole new thing, though. It's people are doing it, you know. They they mm-hmm. they just do. They just stare into the screen and they watch the number go from zero to whatever as people join in. And then there's a little chat, and then that's your audience, you know. So maybe you do it a few times, and it does start to light up the same part of the brain as performing. 
Well, that's an interesting point. Yeah, if if it's just the numbers or if it's the people, I would find that really difficult. Yeah. But, you know, there's kids now who have never been on this planet without um, an iPhone. Exactly. They don't know what it's like without it. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know. It's a different world. And there are kids being born right now in a world with no rock concerts. And there are kids being born right now that are going to see things that we can't even imagine. Right. Yep. Well, Charles, to paraphrase George Harrison, all things must pass. I really appreciate you sitting down with us and talking about uh, all the great stuff that's going on over at Stages. No problem. And we wish you all the luck in the world, man. I know our uh, our listeners are going to dig finding out about what's going on right in this community. Yeah. Thanks a million, man. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me, man. It's a pleasure. It's great seeing you. Yeah, likewise. All right. All right. See ya. Bye. That's Charles Simon. Musician, guitarist, extraordinaire, educator, teacher, administrator, and all-around snappy dresser. Book some time over at Stages in Cockeysville, and you can hang out with him at the front desk and talk shit about the people who aren't there at that moment. Have fun, everybody. Enjoyed it. Here's some uh, Charles for you to listen to. Whoa, dig that, man. He seems like such a mild-mannered dude, too. Baltimore Underground Radio Podcast is brought to you by Burp Media. That was a good one. We invite you to become a supporter at patreon.com slash burpmedia. Supporters will have access to our online VIP room, which will include stories, photos, and interview extras, and bits from the cutting room floor. If you would like to become an official sponsor, Contact us via our website at burp.media.